0: It is the quality of our relationships that determines the quality of our lives. Your relationships are your story. Write often and edit well.
1: That's Esther Perel, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. I appreciate you joining me today, as I always do. And we have one of our most popular speakers back on the show today. And for anyone who is unfamiliar with Esther Perel, she is one of the leading experts in the world of relationships. Her two TED Talks combined have over 15 million views. She is a therapist, a New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, and the list goes on. And today, she's here to discuss the problems that modern day relationships face and how they impact our everyday lives. Here's Esther Perel. Enjoy.
0: Relationships are changing rapidly. In fact, the rules are literally moving under our feet and we are making the rule book as we go. And for the past 35 years, I have helped people navigate the challenges of modern relationships, both personal and professional. But I got particularly interested in the couple, in the romantic couple as an example from which we can learn so much about the culture of relationships today, including what we aspire for in our work lives. Why the couple? Because if you think about friendship, it hasn't changed too much in the last 100 years. If you think about sibling relationships, they haven't changed that much. Parent-children relationships have changed a great deal, and one unit has undergone an extreme makeover, and that's the couple. We've never invested more in love, and we've never divorced more in the name of love. If Apple sold you a product that failed 50% of the time, would you buy it? But this is the state of modern marriage. With expectations that have reached an unprecedented high, And at the same time, a lack of resources and a loneliness and an isolation that leaves people without knowing how to handle it, which was part of why this podcast in some way became a public health campaign for relationships. Because in the village, you knew everything that was going on with your neighbor. You could hear every fight, the walls were porous, and you could hear every reconciliation. But today, your friends can come and tell you that they are getting separated and you didn't even see it coming. And then fake news is not just for the politics. It's also for the way that we represent our personal lives. So we curate and we filter some beautiful idealistic version of ourselves. And in the end, nobody really knows what is going on in the backstage of other people and how they can learn from it. And part of what happens in a series like this, which was an attempt to create relationship advice on scale, is that when you listen deeply to another person, You often find yourself standing in front of your own mirror. How many of you are in a relationship, if I may ask? How many of you would like to be in a relationship? How many of you would like, at least on occasion, to be out of the relationship you're in? (laughs) And this applies to all our relationships. We live in networks of connections. And I like to believe that we can experience our relationships with a sense of aliveness and vitality and vibrancy because the bonds and the connections that we have with other people stand to give us the greater sense of meaning of well-being and on purpose. In effect, the big why for me is that it is the quality of your relationships that determines the quality of your lives. Your successes will appear on your resume Your relationships will be longingly told on your eulogy. And those are very different legacies. How did we move from something that was so clear to something that has become so chaotic? Relationships. In the old world, which is still the world of many other parts of the world, so this is only a comparison to the West, we lived in communities where relationships were very clear. We knew who we were, we knew where we belonged, the big decisions were all made for us, and we had a clear sense of what was expected from us. We moved from a model of relationships that were organized around duty and rules and obligations to a model of relationships that are steeped in options and in choices. We have unprecedented choices about anything. All the big decisions in effect at this moment are on us. The burdens of the self have never been heavier. We need to decide what we want to do. We need to decide where we want to live. We need to decide if we are happy. We need to decide if we are happy enough and if we could be happier. We no longer divorce because we are unhappy and miserable. We often actually separate because we could be happier. We want to know how many people we should date. What should be the gender of the people we date? Should we tell each of them that we are dating other people? You know, we need to decide whose career is going to take precedence. We need to decide who's going to wake up tomorrow morning to feed the baby. We need to decide who has the right to demand for sex. And all of those decisions used to be quite codified for us. As a result, we have massive choices and we have unprecedented uncertainty and self-doubt plaguing us with a little tyranny in the back of us all the time. How do I know? How do I know this is the right thing? How do I know this is the right choice? How do I know this is the one? And this constant match between choice and uncertainty leads us to want to have a clear sense of certainty and perfection and control. And a lot of the tools that are being handed to us to help us navigate our relationships, the apps, the AIs, the VRs, are all meant to give us a greater sense of control at a time when we feel the least control over our relational life. And the question is, do we only need tools that give us control Or can we actually develop a different set of tools, which I call relational intelligence, and which you cannot get from big data? It's a different kind of knowledge. It's a more intuitive, relational knowledge that comes from the process of iteration and reiteration that we have in our relationships. Not too long ago, when we married, we had sex for the first time. Today, when we marry, we stop having sex with others. Not too long ago, monogamy went mad person for life. Today, it means one person at a time. And you can each, each talk about how you are monogamous in all your relationships, plural. Not too long ago, sexuality was primarily for reproduction inside of marital life, in order to have eight children who are going to be an economic asset and not an economic drain, as they are today, and in order for it to be a woman's marital duty. Today, with the advent of contraception and the democratization of it, we have shifted the model of sexuality from duty to desire. Like with brands, desire, love is not enough. We need to be in the mood, we need to be excited, we need to be inspired. Like in the large economy, we have moved from a production model of marriage to a service model of marriage. We evaluate the quality of our relationships by the quality of the experience. We evaluate the quality of our relationships to brand, the quality of our relationship to our job. Am I inspired? Am I moved? Am I recognized? Am I being seen for who I am? Am I being met at my most authentic? You recognize? These two cultures are actually, interestingly, coming together in very new ways. We are infusing the market with terms of purpose and emotionality like never before, but we are also bringing to our romantic lives a level of romantic consumerism like never before. In the village, I needed to choose between John and James. Right now, I have a thousand people at my fingertips. And that means that I have a real paradox of choice, of figuring out how do I know you are the one. And not only that, but if I find you, You, I don't find you at 18 anymore, I find you at 28 and 35, which means I'm not in a cornerstone model, I'm in a capstone model, meaning when you meet me, I've already built myself, my identity, my values, and the act of choosing me is an act of profound recognition of this hard-won labor of identity building, self-definition, and when you find me, I will know that I am the one because you will delete your apps which is the new ritual of commitment. The FOMO will be cured. You know, now I know. And how and what does this the one mean? It has also taken a whole new meaning. In our secularized world, romanticism is the new religion, mixed with consumerism for attaining it, but we are looking for a soulmate. And what is the soulmate? The soulmate is the person with whom I'm going to feel that sense of belonging that I used to get from the community, that sense of rootedness, that sense of recognition, transcendence, meaning, wholeness, all the stuff that we used to look for in the realm of the divine. Soulmate used to mean God. Soulmate has become a person. And with that person today, I want to experience what once an entire village used to provide. I want to experience basically the coming together of the two fundamental human needs. They are our human needs internally. They are also the human, the needs of any living system, of any organization, of any company. The need for stability and the need for change. The need for security and the need for adventure. The need for connection and commitment and the need for freedom. It's the reconciliation of these two, the need for love and the need for desire which we see today as being the core of thriving relationships. We've never asked from the same person to give us a sense of familiarity and at the same time a sense of surprise and novelty, to give us a sense of continuity and at the same time a sense of freshness and spontaneity, to give us a sense of stability and at the same time a sense of Um, of change, to give us at the same time the base needs of the Maslow ladder of survival, of of protection, of nurturance, and also belonging and meaning, and also the new level self-actualization. It is not just that I want with you to build a life, it's that I want with you to become the better version of myself. I want it in my intimate relationships, and I certainly want it in my professional choices if I have the privilege to do so. Which has changed the partner relationship, it has changed the manager's relationship, and it has changed the co-founder relationships. What happens in a lot of the conferences that talk about disruption and innovation is that the world of relationship, the world of relationship, is really left out. I was here two years ago at another event, and there were 10 moonshots about transportation. About food, about fashion, about environment, about AI, about cybersecurity, about education, you name it. And I had taken a picture of those 10 and I said, isn't there something missing? Every single one of these major societal transformations will deeply affect the way that we relate to each other. Every time there has been a new means of communication it has profoundly changed relationships between closed ones, between not just trade relationships, family relationships, couple relationships, the ability to meet people outside of one's own street. How is it possible that we're leaving relationships out of it? Especially when we know that in the world of startups, about 65% of the companies don't make it because the relationships between the people go sour. And if we know that at this point you can have a very good company, but if you don't motivate the people, inspire them, make them feel that they matter, make them feel that what they're doing there is meaningful and comes together with the emotional dimension of their life, ultimately there will not be much loyalty. And loyalty and trust and commitment and freedom are foundational experiences in all relational systems, romantic and otherwise. So I go back to say it is the quality of our relationships that determines the quality of our lives. Your relationships are your story. Write often and edit well. And this is true at all our relational life. So what I thought I would do instead of take the full time is ask you to react with me to what you're hearing here. You know, when people need to talk about relationships, it can often be quite uncomfortable. So feel comfortable and just say, I have a friend. You know, I know somebody. Someone's once told me. But when you think about your relationships, yourself, how accountable do you find yourself? How many of you would say that you give the best of yourselves to your work, to your endeavors, to your philanthropies, and you often bring the leftovers home? How many of you have people that you owe an apology to for a long time? How many of you would probably say that you have spent a lot of meaningful time helping others, but often away from the people that are closest to you and that make it possible for you to be there doing your other things? How much relationship accountability do we have these days? One of the things that the digital and the technologies has created for us is that it has offered us a situation that is often called stable ambiguity. It's probably one of the most interesting positions at this moment. In stable ambiguity, I have a way of staying connected, but not too much that I lose my freedom and and just enough that I don't feel completely alone. The words for stable ambiguity have to do with icing and simmering and then the big level of closure of, of diminishment of accountability is ghosting. Ghosting people have always been rejected but there is a way today in which I can be one minute with you around 300 texts back and forth back and forth back and forth with all the shots up in my brain that I need to and then one minute I'm erased deleted. And this Tension between how disposable we feel, how commodified we often are, how much we look for partners the way we apply for jobs. And at the same time, a desperate need to still feel that we matter, that we, that we are seen, that we can have our page liked and stuff like that. It's these two tensions that we are experiencing today. We have never felt as small and never wanted to feel as big. And small comes with individualism with loneliness. Every book on relationship these days is going to talk about belonging or the loss thereof and loneliness. Loneliness that has become, you have a new Minister for Loneliness in the UK. And in the US, it is has surpassed obesity as the most important public health crisis. Because when people are not well in their relational life, when people suffer relational pain, or when they don't have a relational well-being, it directly affects every other part of their life, their physical health, their ability to be productive, their ability to show up at work, their ability to be attentive to others. It's not the way that we've often thought the other way around, that it is the physical health that creates stress. Nothing as a marker. More than health insurance is, is, the, is the primary determinant of health and physical health than our emotional well-being.
1: Big thanks to Esther Perel for stopping by. If you'd like to connect with her and her work, you can check out her website, estherperel.com. You can also check out her Instagram at esther Perel official. And as I mentioned, she is the host of not only one, but two podcasts. One is called Where Do We Begin? And the other is entitled How's Work. So you can go check those out and I'll have all the links to everything I mentioned as well as a link to today's talk. They will all be in the show description. And uh, all right, that's a wrap for me. When you get a chance, please follow the show, share it or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. I thank you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'll see you back here Friday. So until then, stay strong. Later.